Our scripture reading from today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said, Behold, when you have entered a city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired for you to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you. It is a new covenant in my blood. The word of the Lord. Thank you for being with us today at River Oaks. We are really, really glad to have you here. I believe we have some of our beloved missionary guests with us this morning, George and Phyllis Crispy. George and Phyllis, would you please stand if you're here? Would you join me in just welcoming George and Phyllis from Malawi, Africa? Just a beautiful, beautiful ministry that uh, the Lord has given them in Malawi, and we're privileged that they're here visiting with us this morning. Thank you also for being here today. We conclude today our study on the values and marks that define us. This has been a long study, about 14 weeks, and goes back to February, and I want to give you just a bit of background about uh, what we've been doing and why. On the screen, you'll see what we call our vision frame. You'll also find it on the middle panel of your bulletin, if you care to look at it there. Think of it as a window frame through which we look toward the future. And the future is uh, expressed, that about which we're praying at least, in our vision 2025 statement. Description of what we pray and hope that River Oaks will look like seven years from now. If you want a copy of that, there are copies at our resource center. It's also in the small group study guide if you have used that this year. Now, why are we doing this? What's the purpose of it? Last summer, our elders began meeting, had a retreat together, and praying about how we as a local church could bear the most fruit that we can possibly bear for God's glory in the years to come. We know that we're called to fulfill the great commission of Jesus, to reach people and build people in faith and send them out into the world. But we begin asking, how as one local church can we do that most effectively? How can we best glorify God and make disciples? And the answer to that question, we believe, is expressed in the brief mission statement on the right side of the frame, by building followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others, that is, by spiritual formation, disciple-making in our church that results in Christians who recognize that Jesus calls us not just to come to church and learn and worship together and enjoy fellowship, but also 
to be sent out into his world with his love and with his truth. The discipleship pathway at the bottom of the frame is a process for each of us to grow to that point. It's not a menu of activities, but a map for spiritual growth. The left side of the frame lists values, seven values that we hope characterize our church now, but we pray will increasingly characterize us in the future. And the marks at the top have to do with measuring progress in the values. They have to do with application of these values to our lives. And each week we've been covering one of these. We come to the final one today, the one that uh, we call relationship building. And so that's what we'll talk about this morning. When we think about relationships with one another in the church, the body of Christ, I think it's most helpful to begin with God himself. God is a God of relationship. God has always existed in a relationship of perfect love, unity, and fellowship within his very being because God exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Theologian J.I. Packer says perhaps a good way to refer to God is as the divine team because God is love and he has always existed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with this perfect love. Out of this perfect love, he chose to create, to create us human beings in his own image with whom he can enjoy loving fellowship. From the time he walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to the time he worked through Abraham to build a people for his own fellowship, to the end of the Bible when we see believers together around his throne, God has chosen to relate to people, to communicate with us. And he has ordained that we enjoy communication and relationship with one another. And that's going to be our focus this morning as we conclude this series. Now, you may wonder why I chose a passage that Abby read a moment ago that has to do with the Lord's Supper. It's the passage in the Gospel of Luke where it's recorded that Jesus instituted what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. We're not celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper, in our service today, but we are going to talk about what the passage teaches us about what we share in common with other believers and why we're called to live together in relationship with one another. David Holcomb in his study guide refers to communion as common union. And so we're going to look at those things we have in common with one another that call us to live in relationship with one another. And we're going to look at how we are called to do that. Followers of Jesus share certain things in common. And the first is that we have a common Savior, a common salvation. Jesus, in instituting the Lord's Supper, after a meal, he takes bread, perhaps a loaf or part of a loaf. And when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup after that eaten, saying, this cup that's poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. He was talking about his coming suffering, the bread representing his body, the cup representing his blood that would be poured out, that would be shed on the cross in the new covenant relationship whereby our sins would be put away because Jesus bore their judgment upon the cross. 
Now, it's interesting, I think, for us to uh, note in this passage that Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper comes during a meal when he's celebrating the Jewish feast of the Passover. Abby read these verses a, a moment ago as the passage begins. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they went and found it just as he told them and they prepared the Passover. And this leads into the institution of the Lord's Supper. What do the two have to do with each other? The Passover is given us in the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 12. Moses was leading the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. Pharaoh wouldn't let the Israelites go. And so Moses pronounced these plagues on Egypt. And uh, every time a plague would come, Pharaoh would repent, but then he'd choose not to let the Israelites go. So a final plague is coming, which the firstborn in every household is going to die. But not so for the Israelites. The Israelites were to take a lamb, prepare a meal, put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts and the lintel of their homes, so that when the angel of death came throughout Egypt, the angel would pass over their homes, and they would not suffer this judgment. And uh, thus we get the, the word Passover, and the Jews celebrated this with the Passover feast. Jesus does something when he's instituting the Lord's Supper. He transforms our understanding of Passover because he himself is now going to be identified as the Passover lamb. You see in the verses from 1 Corinthians on the screen what the Apostle Paul wrote. He's writing to the church and he's saying, get rid of the sin, cleanse out the old leaven, he's saying, that you may be a new lump. He's referring to leaven that leavens bread. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So all of this institution of the Lord's Supper is pointing to what Jesus is going to do for his people and now has done for his people as the common Savior providing a common salvation for all who are in him. This is the starting place for the way we're to relate to one another because all those who embrace the salvation of Jesus become members of his one spiritual body. The image the New Testament uses most often for the church is that of a body. Just like our human body has hands and feet and eyes and ears, the body of Christ has many different members. Christ is the head. And every single person who has put faith in Jesus, whether they live in Asia or Canada or South America or the United States, is part of the one body of Christ, his spiritual body. We share a common Savior. We also share in a common kingdom. As Jesus instituting uh, the Lord's Supper, he also begins to talk about this coming kingdom. And he tells his followers, I won't drink of this fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God comes. He's pointing to a future day when he will return and set up his kingdom. Verse 28 says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assigned you as my Father has assigned to me a kingdom. All believers who've come to faith in Jesus are part of this spiritual kingdom. It's coming, but it's also here right now. 
Because Jesus on the earth said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The Apostle Paul said, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's very real and true that the kingdom of God exists now among believers, but it has not yet come in its fullness as it will come when Jesus returns. The Apostle Paul said something remarkable when he wrote to the Colossians about God's kingdom. He said that when a person embraces Jesus' salvation, that person is literally transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. This is not something we can see with our eyes. But if you've embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord, God has placed you into this spiritual kingdom. Jesus is the King. We're all members of this kingdom. Followers of Jesus, members of his one body. As members of the one body, the Bible calls us to support one another. We're to rejoice with one another when we're in need of others are rejoicing. We're to join them, but when others are hurting, we're to feel that hurt, to pray for them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, the Bible says. The book of Hebrews particularly calls us to remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated. And notice the words the writer uses here. Since you also are in the body. Because you're in the same body, you're to have particular concern for other members of the body, other believers, who are being mistreated. It's to be a concern for us. This morning, one member of our body of Christ is in prison in Turkey. His name is Andrew Brunson. I'd like to just pause for a minute and pray for him. Pastor Brunson is from North Carolina. His home church is Christ Community Church in Montreat. He's part of the small presbytery of which our church is a part, a regional body of churches together. Some, some of us have even had the chance to meet him. He's been imprisoned in Turkey for going on two years. He's had a couple of trials and uh, it's, a, it's a very challenging uh, predicament for him. And I want to just take a moment now as the body of Christ to put into practice what the Bible calls us to do and pray for him. So would you join me in that right now? Father, we pray for Andrew Brunson this morning. We ask that at this very moment you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon him and encourage him. Remind him of your greatness, your power, and the great love that you have for him. Provide what he needs, Lord, to be strong in his faith. Fill him with your spirit so that he's a witness to the people around him. We ask that you strengthen him in his health, in his emotions, his mind, throughout all of his being. We pray encouragement for his wife and for his children. And we pray, Lord, when he has fulfilled all that you've called him to do in prison, that you would so work in that judicial system there to bring about his release. And we pray your peace and comfort and strength and encouragement for him this day. In the name of Jesus.
Amen. Followers of Jesus share in common our Savior. We're in the same kingdom. We share a common kingdom. And thirdly, we share a common calling. It's interesting in this passage in Luke 22, what happens immediately after this holy situation where Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper. Could you imagine what that would have been like to be in that upper room with Jesus when he broke the bread and passed the cup and he instituted the Lord's Supper? Can you imagine the holiness of that moment? What do his disciples do immediately after? Immediately after, they begin arguing among themselves about who's going to be the greatest in this coming kingdom. Because we read these words following the institution of the Lord's Supper. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. In other words, in the unbelieving world, people rule over one another. They want power and authority over one another. Those in charge think those below them exist for their benefit. But what does Jesus say about that way of thinking? Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you be as the youngest. And the leader is one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. As followers of Jesus who share in common our Savior, the one kingdom, we have this common calling. And it's a calling to consider others in the body of Christ more significant than ourselves, to love one another, to serve one another. And one of the best ways to consider how we're progressing in this calling is by looking at the many New Testament verses that use the words, one another. On the screen, you will see some of these brief New Testament statements and teachings about the way followers of Jesus are to relate to one another. The last time we put these up, we talked about the value of being relationally connected. Some of you said we'd really like to, to have a copy of those verses again. So this morning, uh, uh, folks in our office have prepared some bookmarks here at the Resource Center that uh, have all everything you see on the screens on this little bookmark. So if you want to pick one up later today, you can. The Bible calls us to love one another. Jesus instituted what's sometimes called the, the great commandment. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is the mandate of Jesus. This is the New Testament mandate for every believer to love one another. Secondly, we're to honor one another. Not just our father and mother, we're to do that, but we're to honor one another. We're to care for one another, book, the book of 1 Corinthians says, because we're part of the one body of Christ. We're called to serve one another through love. 
We're also called to bear one another's burdens. That may be helping someone in a practical way. It may be praying for them, helping to lift a burden through prayer. We're to be kind to one another, and we're, gonna forgive, to, we're called to forgive one another. We're called to encourage one another in the book of 1 Thessalonians and to build one another up. You may be seated next to somebody this morning who came in here with a tremendous weight upon their shoulders. God may use you today to offer to pray for them or to just speak a word of encouragement to them. The book of Hebrews says we're not to forsake the gathering ourselves together, but to encourage one another and to stir one another to love and good works. The book of James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the book of 1 Peter says, we're to open our homes to people who have need. We're to show hospitality to one another. I think it's helpful to look at a list like this and to see how we're doing in making progress in our relationship building and faithfulness to the many mandates of Jesus as we live out our common union as followers of Jesus. So as we grow in our common union as his followers, several things I would recommend. Number one, recognize what, or rather who, unites us. The book of Romans reads, as in one body we have many members, that is, in our physical body we've got hands and feet and eyes and ears, The members don't all have the same function. It's the same way in the body of Christ, the church. Though many, we are one body, and notice the words, we're individually members of one another. You're a member with every other genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Recognize what unites us. It's the blood Jesus shed on the cross that unites us. How dare we ever look down on anybody else in any part of the world of any socioeconomic status or ethnicity? How dare we ever think of anyone less than ourselves when Jesus himself has placed his hand of grace on that person and said, mine, when he's chosen them and redeemed them by his own blood. They are precious in his sight. Recognize who and what unites us. Recognize the things that pull us apart. The disciples demonstrate that for us, don't they? Right after the institution of the Lord's Supper, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Self-centeredness instead of Jesus-centeredness. Recognize the things that pull us apart. Recognize the value of each person Jesus has purchased with his blood. And treat each person as God treats us. A wise Christian leader once said, you're not very holy if you're not very kind. The Bible says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow God's example. Follow the example of Jesus. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven us.
I'd like to take a few minutes now and do something a little different, something we've done before but not in a while. I'd like to take a few minutes to go back through the list of one another verses for a time of reflection on these, asking the Holy Spirit to work in them and apply them to us, and then to pray them. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and it's in the, in the liturgical church calendar, that is. And it would be particularly important today to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to apply these verses to our lives. So you'll see them on the screen now, and I'd like to just slowly go through them, reflecting on what they mean with a bit of a time of silence, and then I'll lead us in a prayer around each one of these one another mandates that we've been given in the Bible. We're called, first of all, to love one another. Jesus, you said a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Father, would you bring to mind now people we need to love that we have not loved. Would you pour out your spirit upon us and help us to apply these words. Write them upon our souls, Lord. Write them upon our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you help us to honor one another? Forgive us for the times we have dishonored the people you've called us to honor. You specifically say to honor our fathers and mothers. But you also tell us to honor each other. Lord, where that's not being done in our homes, would you correct us, direct us, empower us? Lord, you said to care for one another as members of the same body. We've often been so focused on ourselves, Lord, that we have not done that. Change us this morning. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Guide us. Give us a greater compassion for the poor, the hurting. You said to serve one another through love, Lord. Free us from self-centeredness and give us the servant's attitude that you had, Jesus. Lord, you call us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Show us how to do that, Lord.
people around us who are weighed down with some heavy burden. Show us how to help them, how to pray for them, how to encourage them. Lord, you've told us to be kind to one another. Would you show us where we've been unkind to people to whom you called us to be kind? Maybe people at school or at work or in our own household. Lord, you've made it very clear that we're to forgive one another as you've forgiven us. Would you especially work now, Holy Spirit, in the soul of anyone here who is harboring a deep resentment or a root of bitterness? Would you enable them to forgive, Lord? Lord, you've called us to encourage one another and to build one another up. Lord, remind us that this is part of our calling as believers, to look for opportunities to do that. Would you help us with it, Jesus? Show us specifically how to stir up one another to love and good works. Lord, you've said, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Show us if there's anyone to whom we need to confess a sin, particularly if it's anyone we have wronged and not apologized. Use our prayers, Lord, to bring healing to those in need of healing. Lord, give us the grace, likewise, to show hospitality, to open our homes and open our hearts. In the name of Jesus. Father, I pray now that you would write these words on our hearts and enable us to live as you've called us to live as your people. May you be honored among us, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.